Openly gay can be an offensive term. This is TFG Unbuttoned. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. An off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. Welcome to TFG Unbuttoned. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host Tim Bennett. Find us Tuesdays for TFG Unbuttoned and Wednesdays for the Focus Group from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube and Facebook. And focusgroupradio.com is the URL for our web presence. And you'll find all, all the information about me and Tim there and also all our media. So welcome to the new week, Mr. Bennett. Hello, Mr. Nash. How are you? Well, apparently I'm a little tongue-tied. <laughs> tongue-tied? Well, you get tongue-tied. You know, a lot of people think it's easy. You know, the light goes on, you flip the mic, off you go, all you do is talk. One of our favorite stories, of course, is two individuals who are quite the talkers who came on our serious show, and the minute the light went on, it was kind of like Patsy on. Absolutely fabulous. You can never have too many hats, gloves, and shoes. <laughs> well, I think they thought they were quite the talkers. That's true. Wasn't that the issue? Wasn't that more the issue? They thought they were quite the talkers until the light went on. And then then we were like, oh, you're not really quite the talkers. Lots of stories, yeah. So uh, the bombshell question of the day, I guess it's not really a bombshell, but um, I'm curious to see what the Nielsens are on this. But did you tune in to the uh, Oprah interview with um, Meghan and Harry? On Sunday night? Uh, Mm -hmm. I did. I did. So I was one of those people that um, initially... Couldn't understand what all the the hubbub was about because I thought, and I'll I'll just be very blatant about the whole thing. I thought the best job in the world would be a number two royal, right? You have all the all the benefit without the responsibility. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what's the big deal? You go cut a ribbon here and there. You open a hospital. You say, you know, you wave at the cement factory, grow a garden, live in a palace, get a place in the city, have security. How tough can this be? And so that was my my whole thing on this. Of of perhaps there was. Um, I, I don't want to say a, a little bit of um, not crybaby, but but you know what was the issue? And I guess I didn't know what the issue was, and maybe a lot of people did not know what the issue was. So I was equally as shocked, probably as a lot of other people were. And I still don't quite understand. And maybe more and more will come out as the week moves on. But the one thing that I found odd was when um, did you watch it? Yeah, yeah, we did, we did. You know, aside from the racism issue of how dark's the baby going to be, and obviously that was somebody in the inner circle obviously asked that because not anybody, right, can just talk to Harry. Correct. But um, what I found odd was that there was the issue that, and I thought it was odd when it happened, that he would not be, he would not get the title of prince and there would be no protection for him. And I thought that was odd because I thought as a royal and as a grandchild or a great-grandchild of the monarch, that was just automatic. I mean, all those other kids, whether it's Andrew's kids, and don't they all have protection? I don't know. And and that was that, you know, I wish I could even uh, put an answer out there, but they must because they're still technically all part of the whole, as she kept saying during the uh, interview, the firm. So they're part of it and they probably do have that. And hey, we even give our former presidents some form of uh, of Secret Service protection, right? Um, for several years after they leave the White House. Yeah, well, they get it for life. I believe the presidents do. The families and the extended family, I think it it eventually wanes off. But that was my confusion about him. And and then they said, well, when the monarch dies and then Charles becomes king, if he doesn't get passed over, then he would get a title and so forth. But it almost sounded as if there was this racial undertone that, oh, by the way, 
we know you're having a child and your child will not have a title and he won't be protected. And so if I was in that situation and we're hearing their side of the story, I have no reason not to believe them. And if that's true, then I would say I'm out of here, too. I don't know what you would how how you would handle that. I I was uh, first. I thought uh, Megan spoke uh, quite beautifully and smartly. And, and the pauses were the ones that I was focusing on the most. And what I mean by that is sometimes she'd be asked a question and she'd really, you could tell she was really struggling with how to frame the answer or what she wanted to say. And it wasn't like she had practiced that. Well, you know, people will be cynical and say she's an actress. She probably could have, but the overriding impression I had was here's someone who enjoyed, um, a life of freedom. And then she is suddenly cast into the, you know, the world of the royals. And right. I don't know that you have any freedom in that whole thing, right? It's So it was, it was just a really, um, you know, I was watching it, Bob was a lot more intent than I was. But I think um, as the days pass and we see more of Oprah on, you know, CBS this morning and more stuff comes out, I think people will form more impressions. But um, part of me was also, hey, this is the thing you, you're going to marry into, right? Right. That's what you signed up for, right? And I know that no matter how much prep you get, you're never really, when you hit the ground running, you're never really ready for what what's coming at you. But with all the experience they had with Diana and with, with everything, you would, you would think that they wouldn't want, you know, history to repeat itself. Right. Yeah. And that, that is a, that is a big part of it. And Harry had, had mentioned that as well. And the other part of the whole thing for me is, um, think what you will of Oprah. She she crosses her T's and dots her I's and she doesn't get involved in something or an interview unless um, she A, gets um, the access that she believes she needs or is going to get the story. Very similar to what she did with sh- when she interviewed Lance Armstrong. Correct. And he had she, come She clean. basically said, yeah, you need to, I'm not going to talk to you unless I'm getting full, honest answers, right? Right. And so I think in terms of a, a person to interview or a person to um, tell the story, in quotes, uh, I think Oprah also brings a level of credibility that uh, another news person may not have or another journalist may not have. So I do to me, the, the Oprah, the Oprah raised the level or raised the bar for me. And um, so I I but I was I was uh, I was um, I felt differently after watching it than I did before. At first, That's I, exactly I, I was very skeptical. Yeah, I was very skeptical yeah. at first, as I think a lot of people were. And then after hearing it. I mean, just the thought of the fact that she was suicidal and asked for help and there was no help given mm-hmm. because that wouldn't be good for the firm or it wouldn't look good publicly. Good, not good optics. It's not good optics. <sighs> so. All right. We're going we're gonna to leave that there. And before we continue, I want to thank Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, for being with us here on Unbuttoned. We'll share some stuff uh, that's on sale over at their site later in the podcast. Uh, Tim curated the articles this week, and I think they're all great. Um, and the first one is a article from the advocate and the headline reads why openly gay is an offensive term. And this took me a few paragraphs to actually begin to understand what the author was getting at. Um, they take basically, you know, when Pete Buttigieg was announced as the uh, secretary of transportation, uh, a lot of people would have headlines out saying first openly gay cabinet member or first openly gay man to do this, whatever. And the author of this piece, uh, Richie Jackson, basically took to task the term that we use openly. And he thinks that's kind of a noxious designation and, and it really belongs more in our uh, the heterosexual camp. And that's the way they use the term. Doesn't mind saying out, 
because that's something that the community he believes owns and that we can say that with pride. But the openly part is almost, and it, did you get the same impression either when you're reading this, that by the time he made his arguments slowly, but when it dawns on you that why would we say someone like openly straight, right? Like you wouldn't use those terms for other things. Yeah, I also, but I didn't, I still don't quite understand it though. And, 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 <laughs> and I, because when he, he did, he did, give his rationale and i and i understood it as i read along and i but i did put i wrote in in the notes and my side notes here i said i'm not sure i understand or it's that true because he says saying that you're saying someone is openly it signifies that an lgbtq person is living too large in the straight world it dangerously gives tacit approval to think those are the only members of our community they need to see the only ones worth knowing and I didn't understand. I didn't quite understand that. So, in other words, that straight people only need to look at people that are openly gay, or or maybe they're threatened by openly, as opposed to hey, keep quiet over there. It's okay that you're out, but we don't want you to be openly gay. It's. I agree. It was a bit of uh, linguistics gymnastics. <laughs> because if you said if the same headline was he's um, uh, out. Right. If if this if the headline said the the first out cabinet secretary has been approved by the Senate, is that any different than saying mm -hmm. openly gay? No, I and see you're right. I mean, if you he Parsons sorts those two terms, but there was a a line that he said here at the end, which I think maybe this was kind of like burying the lead. But he says, but visibility and representation will never make being LGBTQ plus matter of fact. Maybe one day our successes won't always include overcoming bigotry and stigmatization. But even then, our otherness, the unique way we get to see and experience the world will still be our superpower. But that whole point about maybe someday visibility and representation, and, and that's maybe ultimately where he's getting at, which is, why do we have to say any of these terms for anybody? But that's not the world we live in right now, right? Yeah. And maybe, yeah. So it's, I liked it. It made me think a lot. So I, I like when I read a piece like this, but I do, I did come down sort of where you came down, which is hmm, like a little bit of a head scratch, right? Well, it did make us think a lot, but they, and they, you know, these were two, well, actually three very reputable sources. It was the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Human Rights Campaign, all labeled Buddha Judge. And uh, they even talk about Dr. Rachel Levine or Levine of being openly. Um, she being the openly transgender uh, official, and then Buttigieg being openly um, as a cabinet secretary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so the human rights campaign even used it. But that's why I was wondering. I was trying to think. And you're right. It's it's linguistic gymnastics. Is that what you called it? <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, which is, and that's I was. That's why I was a little confused by it. But maybe, maybe it's time that. Um, you know, we have a more open mind about it and just be more direct about it and say out instead of openly. And yeah, just leave it out. All right. Our next story here um, is an is another one that I really liked. Uh, and I think you I, I, I bet you did the same thing I did. But headline reads, Texas school chivalry assignment tells girls to obey and dress to please men. Female students at Shallow Water High School were directed to obey, clean up after, and walk behind men as part of an assignment for a chivalry day. So a teacher at this high school in Lubbock County um, basically said, we're going to all experience what medieval chivalry was like. And that was a set of conducts for men and, you know, behaviors for men and women. Although this article chose to lead with nothing but the stuff that the girls had to go through. 
And only at the very end did we learn that they had to do the same thing for the guys. So I, I, I well, well, anyway, that's, I'll set it up there. What did you think? I thought I got to move to Texas. <laughs> I am. Um, <laughs> no, I, I thought to myself, how does this stuff happen? And part of me thought was this either, so I had two schools of thought, either this was an assignment that was misinterpreted or that this was a teacher that was rogue. And I didn't, I couldn't I'm, figure I'm out. I'm a, I'm a with you. Are I you? think that it's misinterpreted. Yeah. Because when you look at the, this came via um, a Twitter or Instagram, I think it's Twitter post that someone took a photograph of the, the sheet and it says at the top that the teacher passed out, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. This is chivalry week or something. So even the language is indicating that she's trying to take the kids back to a different time when, when, you know, if you watch Bridgerton or the, any of these historical dramas, there is a formula that, you know, the, well, the society is supposed to be using in how they address each other, men and women. And I think she was just having a fun example of this because at the very end of the article, that's when they finally say, oh yeah, and by the way, um, the, the woman who shared this said male students were supposed to do stuff too. Boys were also told to follow a set of rules, including dress and jackets and ties, show courtly courtesy as they assist ladies who may have dropped an article by picking it up for them, help girls seat themselves, address women as milady. And uh, <laughs> milady. so it wasn't just that they were, they, I, this article made it seem like they were zeroing in on females right? and that, and that they were, they were the ones that had to do this chivalry thing. And how dare you think this way? But then at the end you learn that, no, the, the boys were supposed to do the exact same thing for their set of rules, which is all about being courteous and, and thoughtful and all that. I just thought this was a little bit of a manufactured um, outrage. Is that the better way to put it? Yeah. No, I thought I thought so too. And and I do believe, and and this may be old fashioned. I do believe you should still open the door for a woman or for a lady. And I, I still believe in some of those niceties that uh, we were taught as kids, um, holding the door for a woman and and giving your seat up and all those sort of things. But maybe that's not in vogue anymore. Uh, I, I hope it still is because I think that's just courtesy. Yeah. And, and I think you hold the door for anybody sometimes like some people, like I, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman or like I'll hold the door. Or, yeah. I, so this chivalry is, is the word they were using for this assignment because, um, you know, that's what they were getting at was going back to this, the 1800s or the 1700s, but courtesy is just another word for it. It's an interesting right. story. And I just thought it was one of those ones where depending on how you wrote it, 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 it might, it sounds one way, but when you really get into it and you look at it from two sources, you're like, wait a minute, this may not be what it sounds like it is. Yeah. The teacher was making a point. Yeah, yeah exactly. And she got in trouble for it. Right. Uh, thanks to social media. Uh, we're not surprised. Right. Um, last story, <laughs> Tim, you, um, the way you set this up in the email was not the way the headline was written. <laughs> Well, I just, you know, I didn't think you'd pick it. I was shocked that you picked it. Just when you thought you knew everything about the Kennedys, right? <laughs> Tim had a very different, when he sent this my way and said, for Monday's uh, recording for <laughs> for the show, here's this one. And I read it. I was like, whoa. The headline is the way it was printed. JFK may have had gay experiences with friends. John F. Kennedy had a three decades long friendship with his former schoolmate, Lem Billings. Um, they met at Choate Rosemary Hall, which is an exclusive Connecticut prep school. Uh, they worked together on the classes yearbooks. And according to this, Billings became sexually attracted to the handsome young Kennedy. And 
Kennedy rebuffed it at first because I think this this guy, uh, Lem Billings, gave Kennedy a note on a napkin one day, um, a piece toilet of toilet paper. paper. Yeah. And Kennedy gave said to him, please don't write to me on toilet paper anymore. I'm not that kind of boy, which I think is hysterical. It, it's, it speaks to, well, he was probably flattered. He didn't seem to be pissed but because basically he was annoyed at the fact that the note came on toilet paper. And <laughs> But then the story goes on, right? Yeah, well, it says they, they, so they had an intimate relationship that would last through their school years to the day of Kennedy's assassination. And that Billings even had his own room at the White House, much to Jackie Kennedy's chagrin. Now, this is all very, you know, sensationalized, but Uh they essentially say that, um, and, you know, we've all heard these stories before, right? That, um, and not particularly with Kennedy, but with other people, that apparently this guy, Billings, would, um, perform uh, oral niceties on Jack, and Jack would receive. And as long as Jack was receiving and enjoying, he was still perceived to be straight. So why not receive? And, um, and this went on for, you know, for their lifetime, and it was accepted by the family in terms of Jack's special friend, or as his mother called it, uh, Jack's surprise. And uh, it seemed to almost be like an open secret that he had this relationship with with Lem Billings, as, as, as I read it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And in fact, it, it goes beyond that, though, right? Because he was um, devastated uh, when JFK was killed in Dallas in 1963 and eventually um, became very friendly with uh, RFK's, I guess it was Bobby Kennedy Jr. Right. Yeah. Bobby Kennedy Jr. But you miss the line above. Billings was probably the saddest of the Kennedy widows of the, the assassination of JFK. I mean, it's, you know, I got to read this book. So, um, but yeah, and then he en- ended up moving on to, to young Bobby after RFK was, K was shot. And then there was a eulogy and, and uh, you know, they talk about at the, how, how Jack, Bobby and Lem were all up there and yeah. Lem was arranging furniture and getting ready for everybody for a party. So it, 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 but I, I'd never it heard the Kennedy like, thing with, with, um, no, with no, uh, it, having, having any sort of male no. experience or any, but, but it's not, I don't think it's far flung. Not at all. And it, it, the more you get into it, the more you think maybe they knew and maybe this was some, just one of those family friend kind of things, right? Yeah. Well, Although they call it a family friend, but underneath there might have been something going on that went back to prep school. And, <laughs> and they, said just, there, they said there was a fear the Russian agents would use his relationship as blackmail. That old yeah, State yeah. Department chestnut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that old so. State Department chestnut, as you know. <laughs> they, yeah. So anyway, oh, so my. Kennedy may have had, and this is an old claim, I guess, since these old books, but this, it, it had popped up and I'd, I'd read it again. I thought, well, this is kind of just another one of those things when you think, you know, everything about the Kennedys, there's always something new with the, yeah. with the Kennedy clan. So. Yeah. Uh, you, your exact, uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to read what you wrote on that one. <laughs> That's your, as your lead in for this. Uh, it was just very funny and you, and I'm glad I surprised you with picking the story. All right, as I mentioned a little bit while back in the podcast, uh, Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, has been a partner of ours here on Unbutton since the start. And we would invite you to shop at their site by going to ours, focusgroupradio.com, and click on the Critics' Choice logo. I have been in nostalgia mode of late. You have. It happens every two years or so. There's a bunch of movies I have to rewatch. Just to, Amadeus was last week. I, oh, I just had this thing to see Amadeus. Yeah, I adore it. 
And another one that I, I really adore, it came out in 1997, stars Mark Wahlberg. It's called Boogie Nights. Oh, my God. I love Boogie Nights. You turned me on to that. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I Burt Reynolds, you know, uh, Julianne Moore, Mark Wahlberg. It has a fantastic cast. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson was the director. And I only have a DVD copy. And when you put that on, it just doesn't look the same as Blu-ray. And once you get used to Blu-ray, so... I went to Critics' Choice, and they have the Blu-ray for a grand total of $14.79. So I am adding this to the collection to upgrade my uh, all-time favorite movies, and this is one of them. You know, the two great things about those uh, movies, too, they both have great soundtracks. You know know something? You're totally right. And someone once told me that the Boogie Nights soundtrack was the best B-side soundtrack they ever heard. Because they used a lot of songs that weren't always like you know high high rotation on the radio back in the day they were like the b-sides and of course amadeus uses this uses the uh compositions of mozart so you you can't go bad there no two 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 great choices so head over to uh, focusgroupradio.com click on the critics choice video logo as john said it's america's classic movie and tv authority since 1987 there's always some great bargains there and great sales we think it's the best place to find all types of media and we love them for supporting us and for supporting tfg unbuttoned which uh, comes out to you each Tuesday. So we hope everybody has a great week and uh, continue to mask up and we'll see you next week. Be sure to catch our show, The Focus Group, on Wednesdays before uh, I forgot to say that before we leave you. So have a good week. Take care. It's The Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of the Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com.